stop, collaborate, and listen. The More and Better Disciples podcast is back. Hey, Pastor Phil, glad to be back on the podcast. How's it going? Well, thank God we're no longer Ice Ice Baby. That's right, that's right. We went from Ice Ice Baby to uh, Noah's Ark in the past week, so what a week of weather. You surviving? Well, I haven't hit a pothole yet between here and Arkansas, so yes, my vehicle still has all four tires. That's great. I don't think that's what we meant by wanting to be holy. That's uh, right. But I-30 definitely has that going on. Uh, man, so glad to be back on the podcast. Of course, we missed a week because of the weather. Uh, so we're going to be kind of combining uh, two episodes into one uh, on this one, talking about many more in 24. And specifically today, talking about the power and the urgency for making more and better disciples. Really looking forward to that. So let's jump right in. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, Phil. So you said a couple weeks ago uh, in a message about the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit power precedes our witness. Why is the filling of the Spirit so important, and how do we know when we're filled with the Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is a huge part of the Christian life. In fact, we cannot live the Christian life, uh, let alone witness and be a witness for Jesus without the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I think I hit on this in the message, but I think it's important that we don't take for granted that anyone in our church really understands exactly what that's all about. Some do, uh, but many do not. And uh, especially when it comes to being filled with the Spirit, what is the fullness of the Spirit? So we really got very simple and elementary in our message two weeks ago to even talk about uh, what happens at conversion, and that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and what takes place or should take place repeatedly in the days and weeks and months and years following throughout your Christian life, and that is a repeated filling of the Holy Spirit. You know, I quoted Adrian Rogers, and, and really for this, uh, this book I'm working on, this quote has been one of the most significant, profound quotes to me in the entire book when he said, when I was a young Christian, I was deaf, or preachers did not preach the fullness of the Spirit. I never heard it. I was born again in a Southern Baptist church, went to a Southern Baptist college, went to a Southern Baptist seminary, and yet I was out and preaching for about five years before I understood how to be filled with the Spirit, that God does not want me to do anything for Him, rather He wants to do something in and through me. That's so profound uh, because you know we as, as evangelical followers of Jesus, we have heard over and over again that we should be witnessing, we should be sharing the gospel with other people and, and making disciples and so forth, but without us understanding that the Holy Spirit power must precede our witness, as Jesus said it would in Acts 1 verse 8, all we're doing is out there spinning our tires in our own strength. Uh, you know, we often, when it comes to making more disciples, we oftentimes think of the, the fact that the Holy Spirit must convict someone else of their sin in order for them to respond by faith. And that's true, John 16, 8. Uh, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come, I'm paraphrasing of course, but uh, will come and convict the world of sin. And so we oftentimes say, Lord, Please convict these people of their sins so that they will respond to the gospel. But you know, something that we have oftentimes overlooked is that not only should the Spirit convict them, but the Spirit must empower us. And, and, and by that, to mean to fill us. Uh, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 13. Over and over again, we see people who were already saved, who already had the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them, nevertheless repeatedly filled with the Spirit, and as a result, they spoke boldly, and they, they, were, they were very effective witnesses for Christ. So that's why I think it's really important for us to see that the Holy Spirit power truly must precede our witness. Yeah, I agree, and it, that just 
again, it reminds me of, I know in my life, a lot of times I, I have this, this fear or this, um, you know, this timidness of, well, wh- what if I don't know what to say? And, and what if I don't know the right words? Or is, is that where you say like the Holy Spirit in us is, is working in us and through us and he will, will guide us to that? I think it's a both and. I mean, you, you, you search the scriptures yourself, you, you memorize scripture, you understand the Bible, and then you share the word of God. I think a lot of times people think that they have to come up with their own uh, you know, way to describe things or their own way of saying things. Just share the Word of God, right? But the Holy Spirit gives us that courage to even do that, right? That boldness. I mean, that, that more than anything else was, was the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit, that they spoke with boldness and courage, right? And this fact, that the Holy Spirit brought them to a place of overcoming whatever personal weakness they had or personality weakness. You know, again, people oftentimes say, well, this isn't my personality or this just isn't my thing or whatever. Well, all the more reason to be filled with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us the power. It gives us gives us the boldness and courage. Yeah, so it sounds like you're saying that there there's this... Um, you know, diligence that, that we have to have to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit, to search the Scriptures, but then also a surrender to say, this is not in my power, but has to be in yours uh, as we seek That's right. we got to come to the end of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Well, you recently shared uh, from 1 John five twelve with our church that whoever has the Son has life, but whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. How does this verse tell us just what's at stake when making more disciples? Well, it, it's, it's very simple and it's very binary, right? If you have Jesus in your life, you've received Jesus, you're following Jesus, well, you're going to have life. And of course, we, we differentiate, and so did Jesus, between existence and life. Existence is to have a breath, to have a heartbeat, have brain waves, to have physical function. But that's, that's not necessarily life as the Bible describes it. And we had said on Sunday that uh, the, the word life, as Jesus was using it, was pretty much synonymous with the word salvation. Uh, so life means eternal life here and hereafter. Uh, and so it's important to understand that, that that's what's at stake. Uh, every aspect of the Christian life on, on this planet is, is a byproduct of having that life that, that God gives us, that Jesus gives us, that the Holy Spirit gives us when He's in and through us. Uh, and, and yet at the same time, uh, we also see this this eternal destiny of either life or not life, right? Uh, that, that's completely dependent on what we have done with Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I'm reminded, you know, that Jesus said that He came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Mm. Um, and so, uh, yes, obviously eternal life, but just thinking about the abundant life that's available here and now. Um, it sounds like you're saying that even that without Christ is not is not possible. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about the definition of a disciple, right? We always talk about the definition of a disciple, but even the definition of a disciple is simply, a, you know, a, a, a man-made, man-manufactured thing if, if the Holy Spirit is not working in and through us. The Holy Spirit is what empowers us to be a growing follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings us to a place of transformation, to, to live and love like Jesus. And here's the, the important thing for our series. The Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us and enables us to lead others to follow Jesus. And you know what? I mean, what would Crossgate Church look like without the Holy Spirit? I hope, I mean, would we look different than we do now? Uh, you know, again, another quote that I brought in from Adrian Rogers a few weeks ago a great church in God's estimation will have great power. 
Not great power and influence and not great power and money, but great supernatural power in the Holy Spirit of God. And if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we're just playing church. Many churches are organized and many churches are large and many churches meet their budget, but they do not have the supernatural power of God that ought to characterize a great church. Then he said, to be blunt, if the Holy Spirit were to suddenly die, which is impossible, many churches would meet the next Sunday and carry on the program and never know the difference. May that never be true uh, here at Crossgate. And I yes, guess, absolutely. It frightens me to think about it. Yeah, and, and you know when you think about that, you hear people talk about you know whether a church is alive or a dead church, but when you think about it in the terms of the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, especially when it comes to making more disciples, uh, yeah, very, very important to understand. Well, when we're talking about eternal life and, and sharing the gospel, Phil, that it seems like there's many in our culture that sincerely believe either one, everyone goes to heaven, or two, it's just a matter of doing more good things than bad. Um, what does the Bible say about that? Well, that's a great question. In fact, we always ask that question, what does the Bible say? But that's especially important when it comes to heaven and hell, uh, because people want to believe almost anything, and they will believe almost anything. Uh, on the subject. So, first of all, I think the Bible is very clear. Jesus is very clear. Not everyone goes to heaven. Uh, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. 1 Timothy 2, 5, uh, there's one God and one mediator between God, the man Christ Jesus. So, uh, again, to go back to what we've often said, salvation is available, but it's not automatic. Uh, it's very clear, even as we look around the world, that, that if, if if Jesus and the Bible have made such exclusive truth claims about who gets into heaven, clearly not everyone is going uh, to heaven. Now, God does desire that everyone goes to heaven. Uh, 1 Timothy uh, 2.4 uh, says that God desires for everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So even God desires it. But in spite of the fact that God has this desire, that still doesn't mean that everyone is automatically going to go to heaven. Now, in terms of you know, how you get there, this is huge, right? I mean, understanding that we go by the grace of God, not by our own efforts, that's central to the gospel. And, I, and I'm thinking here of uh, uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, that says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The reason why I think about that is because when I was a brand new pastor, I mean, I, I had just graduated seminary, and I was doing a, a funeral for this lady. And this funeral service went on for two hours, and I only preached for about seven minutes. And what happened is she had her family had lined up probably... 15 different friends of hers that was just coming up to the podium one right after the other and singing her praises and saying about how good she was. And there were a lot of good things to say about her. Well, I'm sitting there just listening to this the whole time. And I kind of called an audible on myself. You know, I had talked, I, I had planned on preaching on this topic here. Uh, but then I decided to shift over to Titus three, because think about the number of people out in the congregation who have heard all of those wonderful things and said, well, of course she's in heaven. I mean, look, look how good she was. And so I basically did, I, I kind of just shot from the hip a little mini-sermon from Titus 3, uh, 3 through 5, and I said, you know what, if she is in heaven today, and I believe she is, it's not because of all these good things that you just heard about in her life. It was because God, by His mercy and grace, saved her. 
and, and that's important. Now, why is that important for uh, making more disciples? Because how many people really understand that in our culture? Very, very few. If I was to ask the two key questions to almost anybody in this world, I would probably get what's called a works-based answer. The two key questions, of course, are the first one is, if you were to die today, have you come to a place in your spiritual life where you believe and know for certain that you'd go to heaven? And the second most important question is, if you were to stand before God and he was to say, why should I let you come into heaven, what would you say? And I'm telling you, man, the, the majority of people would say, well, I've been a good person. Or they would give some type of behavior-based, works-based answer. All the more reason why we need to be stepping into people's lives with a clear explanation of the gospel. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I can think of some, some specific examples um, of conversations that I've had and that I know you've had where we've asked those questions and people have given that exact thing. Well, I've, I try to be a good person, even people that, you know, attend church on mm -hmm. a regular basis. Um, and so all the more reason why we need to be intentional with stepping into people's lives and asking those very important questions. Um, very, very good. Well, you know, when we talk about uh, salvation, inevitably this question always comes up regarding the guy on the island. And you said that people often ask, well, is the guy on the island who's never heard the gospel, is he lost if he never hears about Jesus? Um, then you said that an even more important question for us is, are we saved if we don't tell? What did you mean by that? Well, that's a great question, and I had some folks come up to me to ask me to elaborate on the guy on the island. And of course, we're talking about, when we, when we mention the phrase, the guy on the island, we're talking about some aboriginal person who, who was born, who lived and who died on maybe a South Pacific island, who never heard the name of Jesus. Does that, is that guy still lost? And so again, this is important because, you know, common wisdom out on the street would say, well, of course he's not lost. He's, you know, God never gave him a chance. Well, let's see what the Bible says. First of all, Romans chapter 1 uh, clearly tells us that nobody gets a free pass. God has revealed himself, uh, his invisible attributes and all the rest through creation uh, to people so that they are not, they don't have an excuse. Uh, and then specifically on Sunday, I mentioned Romans 5.14, which also specifically says that nobody gets a free pass. Now that said, we also understand based on what Jesus said, that people will largely be judged based on the light that they received. Okay, so that means, of course, to use Jesus' language, for example, in Matthew chapter 11, he's, he was talking to Capernaum, you know, one of these towns where he had spent a lot of time. And he said, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for the people of Capernaum. Why? Because the people in Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have Jesus standing right there on the street corner. The people in Capernaum had that. Right? That's when I said in the message, on the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for the people of Garland County who, who rejected Jesus. Why? Because we have had so much gospel and so much religion and so many churches and so many Bibles and everything else in Garland County, and yet there's tons of people who have still rejected Jesus. Or worse yet, they've sat in church week after week after week, but they've never been saved. And they think, oh, my church attendance is going to take me to heaven. Now, why is that important? The, 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 the question that we followed up with, of course, is are we saved if we don't tell? Yes, it's an interesting question to ask. Is the guy on the island, is he lost if he doesn't hear? But for our purposes, the big question is, are we saved if we don't tell? In other words, is, is sharing our faith 
engaging other people about Jesus, inviting people to come to Jesus, is that an incidental part of following Jesus or is it a fundamental part? I would say, based on what I see in the Bible, it's a fundamental part. I mean, if someone is not in any way, shape, or form endeavoring to somehow, some way bring lost people to Jesus Christ, I wonder if they even know the Jesus of the Bible. That's why I said, are, are we saved if we don't tell? Uh, I think so many people feel like that's just an optional thing for a few super Christians. The fact is, Jesus said, you, meaning y'all, will be my witnesses. Yeah, and the truth is, uh, we're often quick to talk about the things that we love. Mm. Uh, our sports teams, our families, um, you know, our hobbies and careers, whatever it may be, um, we, we often don't hesitate to talk about those things that we're passionate about, but uh, it seems like Jesus sometimes is a, a different story. Man, that's a, that's a great point, Keith. I appreciate you mentioning that. Yeah, um, but the truth is, is we're, we're talking about some really high stakes here, um, literally heaven or hell, um, in eternity. And so how should understanding what's at stake when making more disciples generate an urgency in the hearts of God's people? Well, first of all, I, I would say that every New Testament uh, writer, every apostle, Jesus, everyone in the New Testament had an urgency uh, to bring people to Christ and, and to share the gospel because of what was at stake, heaven or hell. But here's something else they had on their minds, and, and honestly, I'm guilty of not talking about this often enough at Crossgate Church. Not only was it an issue of what was at stake, but when was at stake. These people expected Jesus to come busting through the clouds at any moment, right? And, and there, there, was, there was an urgency because they said, you know, we, we, we don't have a lot of time on our hands. We've got to see as many people trust Christ and, and again, I'm just I'm thinking off the top of my head. I believe it was Amy Carmichael who said, "We we uh, we will have eternity to celebrate our victories, uh, but we but we have mere moments to achieve them." Right? I mean, we, we'll be able to celebrate uh, in heaven for all eternity, but we we have a very short amount of time to reach people uh, before either we go to heaven personally or, or Christ returns. And, and there there really was back then a just a a, a constant expectation that Jesus is coming. And that certainly drove their urgency in, in uh, trusting Christ. I, I, I was at the, uh, the state, Arkansas State Baptist Evangelism Conference yesterday, and uh, Pastor Ken Witten was, was speaking. And he made a great comment. He said, if you don't want to see everybody saved, chances are you won't see anybody saved, right? Because there's, there's this urgency about wanting to see people saved, wanting to see people saved. So then you're just going to, you're going to, as a natural outworking of that, as you said, you know, you talk about what you you talk about what you're prioritizing. Yeah, and uh, speaking of Ken Winton, one of the things that he said at that evangelism conference that I would love to end on is he said that the key to evangelism isn't necessarily loving people; it's loving Jesus. What do you think he meant by that? Well, well, first of all, Jesus is our Lord. And, uh, and, and our number one love in our entire life should be Jesus, right? As, 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 the, as the divine Son of God, God the Son. Uh, and, and I tell you, this is something that popped up, Keith, in our Bible reading this week, you know, in our Bible reading plan that you put together. In Psalm 18.1, where it says, I love you, Lord. I love the Lord. Man, it is never a bad time to express our love for Jesus. In fact, I was talking to the guys in our uh, discipleship group on Sunday night, and I said, you know, guys... You don't realize how powerful it is if you're sitting around at your table and you have your family gathered there 
and, and you are praying before your meal, and as you're praying, you simply just pause and say, Jesus, I love you. Right? That's powerful. That will leave an, an amazing impression upon your children. Well, here's the thing. If we love Jesus, then we're going to love what Jesus loves. That's, that's how that works. As a matter of fact, our scripture passage for uh, this upcoming Sunday is Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus looked at the crowds and he had compassion on them. And then he told his disciples, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers out into the harvest field. And all that was generated by Jesus' love and compassion for these people. And yes, we should love people for the sake of loving people because God loves people. Jesus died for people. But at the same time, what's going to really drive that and make it more than just a sentiment is we're going to love Jesus, and therefore we're going to love what Jesus loved. And, uh, and that, that, that drives me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we are out of time for today, but my prayer for us this week is that we would um, just passionately fall more and more in love with Jesus, that we would seek Him through His Word, seek the filling of the Spirit, and that we would um, just be so conscious as we uh, go about our days, that we would see uh, people and, and have a heart to see them come to Jesus. So, Phil, thank you for your time today. Can't wait till next week. Well, praise God, Keith. Thank you so much for, for your time. And I want to give a shout out to Byron Lee, the man behind the curtain, who's really in charge of running our podcast. He does such a great job every week with all the tech at Crossgate Church. So, folks, if you get a chance, whenever you see Byron, let him know how much you appreciate him. God bless you. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the More and Better Disciples podcast, a ministry of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. To learn more, join us on our website, crossgate.org.